and John Bogdan. Hello, I'm John Butler. That was my film. Uh, thank I'm you. Terrible, and I'll be asking some questions. He's got some very hard questions for me. Um, uh, John Butler, um, I mean, how amazing was that film, first of all? Um, and it's going to do wonders for decking and DIY throughout the summer, all over the world. The underrepresented decking community. <laughs> They're represented now, and I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, I suppose one of the first questions is a big question, really. And we'll take questions from you guys at the end, so we'll just chat for a little bit, and then take questions from you, so please do get them ready. Be lovely to... You have John here, so please do ask him some stuff. Um, this is a film about outsiders, and while people will talk about race, they'll talk about class, those are important elements of this. This is about uh, people who are marginalised and they're on the outside so that those things are in some ways just part of it. Yes. <laughs> very good. And decking. Uh, no, I mean, it's true. I, yeah. I think you're right. And um... I mean, they're very big concepts. What I mean about that is that it's the outsiderness that is more important in this film, I guess, than why someone is an outsider. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's a function of the, a city of this size maybe as well, the kind of atomization of people when they're in these vast, you know, metropolitan areas. So um, yeah, I think that's a big uh, part of it, the d difficulty in connecting with, uh, with other people and then the common experience that you have when you are felt to be on the margins in some way. Yeah. Do you think that, uh, I mean, this, this film is, is really about loneliness in lots of ways? Yeah. Um, is big city loneliness a particular kind of loneliness? I think it is. Uh, I, I find loneliness to be hysterically funny. <laughs> um, no, I think it is. I think it's um, it's unique to big cities. Uh, in in when, when I was writing this, or at the outset of the kind of thinking uh, period, I was reading lots of um, editorials about gay loneliness, actually, and and how the apps. Um, were killing kind of um, social communal spaces for the gay community and how on the surface they were connecting people but they were actually um, decimating the community spaces and I thought that was really interesting and I don't think there's a particular strain of loneliness to the LGBT community but it was certainly the jumping off point um, and then I began to think about the um, not loneliness per se, but the the the, the kind of very uh, narrow categorization of a, of a man who goes to work with the same people every day and returns um, to you know his family and doesn't get to experience a level of sociability with people beyond that uh, community. And I suppose it just sprang from the idea that those are two maybe different you know strands of the same thing. So diff two different kinds of loneliness, and so some of that would be from uh, your own perspective, I'm sure, and stuff that you have lived. Uh, and then there's Alejandro, and people will say maybe that's not being something you have lived. Uh, why would someone then? Why why are you the right person to to voice this? Is that something that is a question that might come up? Yeah, it comes up a lot, and it's a good question. You know, I think it's an absolute minefield, and I think um, you know I, I have to say I think it's correct that it is a minefield. I think there's enormous sensitivities around this stuff. Um, for me, I wanted to enter this story through the point of view of a white gay protagonist. That was uh, very important to me because it's my experience, of course, but also because my interest is really in uh, implicating the audience um, in establishing a set of assumptions on their part and then trying to play with that. So uh, Alejandro, the character of Ernesto, is a great antagonist to Sean in that he comes into Sean's world and he changes it 
but the point of view necessarily has to be Sean's if you want to implicate the audience in Sean's privilege and his bad decision making. You know, that's really important to me as a viewer as well that I feel like my assumptions are being challenged in some way. Um, you know, there's obviously a hundred different ways to make this film, but they're not mine, and I I don't know whether I have. I mean, I'm only thinking about it now, but I, I honestly don't know whether I would have kind of permission, quote unquote, to enter the story from the perspective of Ernesto as a as a protagonist and Sean as the antagonist. And, and actually, were I to do that, I think the joke about Sean's privilege would feel more judgmental in a way, and that's not something that interests me creatively. I'm trying to come at these ideas from a more empathetic place of just kind of going, well, he feels that and do you feel that, you know? And that kind of binding together of audience and, and, um, and character and subject matter is really important to me. And that's what the films that I like the most tend to do also. I think that's a, a wonderful perspective on it. I also think it's interesting that although the central character as such, although it's kind of a two-hander, the central character, the, the protagonist, is, is someone whose experience you, you might know or share, that what you have done is taken um, a person that might be a trope in another film that often is in LA films and made them very human to us. That, that was something that in LA you saw, you, you noticed these lads standing around mm. and you wanted to bring them into this story. Yeah, and it's just interesting, like, uh, you know, for me, the most important encounter between the two guys is the one that sets the story in motion, you know, when Sean drives up to the hardware store and he's looking for somebody to help him paint the deck, and he hires the kindest looking guy on the line outside the Home Depot, and everybody I spoke to, and every, I spoke to a lot of people who had been on both sides of that transaction before, and to a man, everybody said that you hire one person, if you're one person, you know, that's kind of seen like the best thing to do, but also you hire the person who seems the friendliest. And so for me, as long as that encounter checked out, um, not to say ethically, but like as long as I could feel there was an internal logic to what happened in that first meeting, that then their characters take them on the, on the road from there, you know. It is completely believable. I think that is, uh, that's such a testament to the chemistry and the casting. We absolutely buy why they're drawn to each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, if I go in reverse order, I, I think um, Alejandro's tape was the first tape that I saw and literally opened his gob to say his name and I was like, that's it. You know, I mean, he's just um, such a beautiful guy and has such a kind face and is so expressive. And, uh, and on the other side of that, Matt, you know, who uh, got the script through his manager and responded very quickly and was great to work with too. You know, I think casting is like 99.9% .9 of the directing process and I don't think you can make a good film without getting that right, you know, and uh, so I'm kind of blessed, you know, and I will say as well, which I don't perhaps say often enough, is that the characters that support those two leads are also um, terrific, you know, Darcy Carden and Wendy McLennan-Covey and people like that were just amazing. The great advantage of shooting a film in LA is you get people of that calibre who just want to do work in their hometown. It means so much to actors not to have to go to Atlanta, you know, or, or Vancouver or wherever the tax break is. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that that's entirely why they chose it. Like, they did read the script, I'm almost certain. Um, like 80% certain. So, um, like 80% of the script. Yeah, well, they're pages, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm, I, I was uh, chuffed to get to work with those people also. I mean, you... you uh pay respect there to the actors but the characters are great they're the peripheral characters are not stereotypical they are not 2d they're fully complex characters the women are really interesting the women the way that um matt's character relates to the women at his work that's that's a really interesting uh, space for us to see him in yeah and uh, you know as is always the way with stuff you shoot more than you use and wendy and darcy are like 
improv queens, you know, and there's a couple of scenes that didn't get into the film that were just a joy to watch and, you know, for the Irish man who grew up watching improv comedy films and, and sketches and so on, uh, getting to see them on their feet playing with that stuff was just amazing. And then obviously you have to make those really tough decisions in the edit and serve the main story as you see it. But I mean, this film was really just a set of privileges in that regard, you know, uh, the location and the experience of bringing an Irish crew over to America to make what optically is an American independent film, but which has the beating heart of an Irish film underneath it. And, you know, all those things are really not nicely lost Nicely done, to me, you know? John, there. That was nicely done. Very good. You straddled the two. It's great. <laughs> Fair play. What was it like, though, for, a, for an Irish kid who's obsessed with movies, as you clearly are, to make an American film, to make a film in Hollywood? Well, you know, it's interesting because, like, for years I've gone to Hollywood and driven around and reversed the wrong way up freeway ramps and got lost and, you know, had to rely on the kindness of strangers and, you know, uh, <laughs> my mate Hugh O'Connor's in the audience and, you know, he and I spent a lot of time uh, highly confused on the streets of Los Angeles. Um, so, you know, I, I, and the LA that I encountered and that we encountered and is not the LA that has been characterised so often on screen. It's always, for me, been east, you know, Silver Lake, Echo Park, Highland Park. It's always been brown hills and uh, freeways and strip malls. And none of the glamour, none of the ocean. I mean, obviously you're telling a story about somebody who's emotionally parched, so you're not going to show the Pacific Ocean, even though it's nearby. But also, there's no Hollywood Boulevard, there's no Hollywood sign. You know, those things never really held the attraction to me or the romance of the city. Uh, to me, the romance of LA is in its woozy atmosphere and its kind of slightly narcotic sense of just being unmoored from the rest of the world. And some of that has to do with weather, some of it is to do with music. Some of it is to do with the fact that you smell jasmine all the time. Like, it's a very weirdly romantic city in a way. And, and, and I always feel slightly out of it when I'm there. And that was kind of a, a, a thing that I wanted to try and capture on, on film. I, I felt that was a, perhaps in some way a distinct uh, type of LA to the one that I watched as a kid. You know? I, I wonder if... Um one of the things I think you capture really well, but I wonder if that marries with um, the way you see LA. But you capture that sort of melancholy in quite a light-hearted way, yeah. um, in a way that sort of LA is is lightness and dark. It's, it's it's bright sunshine, but you know there are lots of murdery motels around the place. Um, <laughs> You've done a murder in a motel, haven't you? I know, no, don't say it in public. Um, but I, yeah, I think is that something that would that would marry for you? Yeah, I think in LA you drive past the kind of, they're called storybook cottages, they're, they're like little um, Disney looking cottages um, that used to house the starlets in, in the silent movie era and in, in the 30s and 40s and they're a picture book but as as with the Brothers Grimm they're slightly, uh, uh, there's something off kilter about them, you know, and that to me characterises the feeling of LA and you know, other writers like, you know, obviously Joan Didion and Brett Easton Ellis and people like that frequently poke at the idea of horror in the sunshine, you know. And I think that's something that's um, emblematic of the city itself, that it has that kind of contradiction of the, the, the searing heat and the, the incredible light and then the, the darkness that goes with that, you know. And that isn't to condemn the city. I think that's just to suggest that there's lots of flavours and there's lots of layers of, of experience that are, are there to be, to be seen and felt. And, and it's just intriguing, you know. And, and a lot of that can just be put down to the fact that I, I'm not from there. And so the eye of a visitor is always the one that's kind of at its kind of widest, you know, aperture. And you just kind of soak it in obsessively. But I have to say, the more I go, the more deeply it consumes me. Like, it's just a, it's a city I never get tired of, you know. Is it important to you in your work to, um, to have that balance of light and dark? Because it's a very sunny movie in lots of ways. There's too much sun. Yeah. Um, he's a weatherman and there's 
just sun all yeah. the sun all the time but uh, there's this real tragedy at the center there's real hurt there's real darkness and despair uh, is it important to you to have the relief yeah well i think you can't have one without the other like for me the experience of making films is just trying to replicate a version of the world as i see it you know and an attempt to communicate that version to other people and see if it resonates with them you know and to me, life is funny and serious simultaneously, and there's no respect on one part for the other, and they overlap. And you know, you never have a moment that's like purely dramatic. Like in your life, you're never like, okay, this, this next little while is just going to be serious. <laughs> Pure you know? drama. Yeah, or like purely funny. You know, there's no boundaries as such. And, and so, in an attempt to replicate that experience of the world as I see it, I think comedy drama is the only form. And this is on the same spectrum. It's obviously slightly more dramatic than maybe my work beforehand but um yeah i think somewhere around there is the most interesting place just to be as a viewer and a, and a, a writer um I, I want to thank you on behalf of the world because basically between um handsome devil uh, your previous film and and this one you've solved toxic masculinity which is brilliant Listen, and I'd everyone say said it couldn't be done but john did it <laughs> in just two films and i think that thank you thank you Well, you're absolutely more than welcome. Thank you. And if there's anything else... We think of a few things. Oh, I don't know. I mean, maybe... Was, that, was, it, was it a conscious thing? Because for maybe, me, it's just a joy up. to see a film made by a guy where there's this... There's real warmth. It's about friendships. It's about love. Um, and it's, uh, it's also really dark and explores emotion. Was that a conscious thing? Well, no, I just, it's other films. I, like, I saw Booksmart a couple of weeks ago and was blown away by it and, and how every character is taken care of in that film. And it's not at the expense of any uh, humour. Like, it's, you can be, like, scabrously funny and not cruel simultaneously, you know. Uh, so it's just a, it's a taste thing, I feel. Um, but it maybe fits the world as we have it right now because it's on fire. And uh, things like, you know, it, there, are, there are ideas in contention now that weren't ten years ago. So I think maybe it is slightly reflective of the world we live in now, but uh, it's also just a matter, I think, of personal taste and wanting to see... You know, I do buy into that idea of that you, you kind of make the film that you'd like to see or you write the book that you'd like to read. You know, you don't do it consciously, but I think that's what the creative... Uh, what would you say? Like the kind of, I think that's what the pursuit is. That's what you're going after, you know? I mean, because there is still a real uh, dark heart to this film. There is, there is despair, there's, there's grief, there's anger. You really want to make me cry. I want to make you cry. <laughs> this is my goal. It's been my goal for, since I accepted this gig. Uh, but, but, so I think a lot of people would look at the surface of this film. Uh, the people who are after edgy or what they would call authentic. This, this is pure, to me, this is hugely authentic mm. and brave. But there will be people who, because there's a gentleness or a sweetness or a goodness to it, uh, might say, oh, you know, well, there's no edge. There is, but it's not, yeah. it's not cruel. Well, it's like the grinder date in, this, in the film, you know, uh, hi, mum. <laughs> grinder is a place where you meet um, people who do decking. Yeah. Grinding is the sound that the deck makes on the floor. Very helpful intervention, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. You earned your core with that one. Um, but no, that's a that's an example of a, of a worldview. I suppose you in an environment like that, you you are met with whatever you bring onto it. You know, so it's just a matter of perspective. I feel you know, to some people that an encounter of that nature might seem like absolutely out of the realm of, of realism, but for others it mightn't. You know, I think it's just a question of kind of subjective. Um, Viewpoint, you know, and I don't even mean that in terms of creatively. I think it's just you, 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 you are met with whatever you bring out into the world, you know. Um, 
like if you're in shit form and you meet somebody, you don't get the best out of them, you know. So I think it's just a, a, another kind of manifestation of that. Uh, more generally than just your own film, but do you think it's important to put goodness out into the world in terms of work right now? Well, I, yes, but I, well, I think so, but I, I, I'm, I'm leery of that because I don't... Uh, I think you're sunk once you try to send a message. Absolutely, um, yeah, that was another question there you got there. Sorry, I, hope I jumped ahead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think, good, yeah, good like, top marks. Like if I, if, I, if I sat down to write a film about the, you know, the uh, migrant worker situation, yeah. you know, in initial caps, I'd be ruined, you know. So I just, I don't know if I'm able to work that way. I think other writers are, and they're brilliant, and, and their work is brilliant, but it's just not how I... Uh, I'm not really able to, to kind of function in that way. So um, for me, it just comes from a slightly different place. And I think maybe uh, maybe that's something that I don't uh, favour as a viewer either, necessarily. Yeah, know. I can feel quite breachy. And then you, you're distanced from the film in a way that this one brings us completely in. We're right in its heart. I think so, yeah. I think you've got to come at some of this stuff sideways. You know, I think it's just a... a that's just a... I'm trying to think of stuff, that, I mean, you know, I haven't seen Chernobyl, but that's a thing that I, I believe is wonderful and that I'm dying to see. And I'm sure there's a message up front and centre in that. So, like, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to uh, make any judgment on anybody else's work, you know. And also, I do love that um, other types of work too, but just, again, it's just a very subjective process. Speaking of which, do you feel that in your work it is important to represent the LGBT community in, in a very, in a positive or a strong or a front and centre way? I, I, I think it's important to do it and it's not uh, something that anybody has said to me or that it's not a pressure that I feel from without. But um, yes, if you buy this idea that uh, creating art of any sort is like an attempt to communicate with people, then yeah, for me that will always be the case. Um, to a greater or lesser extent. Um, I just think LGBT stories, even now with the great proliferation, are still <clears throat> underrepresented statistically. And I just think they're really interesting. You know, I just think it's a realm of human experience that is fascinating to me. And I think it's such a privilege, um, you know, to be gay and also to be able to see the world through that prism and to render it in some way and to poke around in it and to look at gay straight alliance and to look at body movies that are in that uh, area and then maybe look at more romantic ones at a later date is an endless kind of what I'm saying is I don't find it limiting in any way I actually find it to be the opposite yeah you know? that's wonderful yeah. and uh, yeah it's, it's just a, it's beautiful to kind of get I suppose as a as a boring illustrate to get an insight into into a world that isn't played for you know often played for laughs or things like that I don't mind you being straight but just yeah. you push it in my face yeah I know <laughs> It's true. Whatever you do behind closed doors, it's fine, I guess. <laughs> it's just, why do you have to be so... You know, I know, I'm always on, yeah. pushing at it. Um, that's a beautiful segue towards the slapstick comedy in the movie. It's absolute genius. I think, who knew that Matt Bomer is a pure slapstick comedian? How much Buster Keaton did you watch? Well, Alejandro is my Buster Keaton forever. <laughs> um, I just, I, I think he's, he's, he's incredible. He... he when you meet him, he has such a big smile, and the first thing I, I said to him was like, "You're going to have to put that away. Like, that is not allowed until the very end of this film." So he has that secret weapon, but he's so alive, and I and I, I adore that. And then Matt, on his side, like his physicality, a lot of it is is uh, he nicked from me. Uh, what? Yeah, like various ways of standing and, and so on. Um, oh, like, roll it again. We need to yeah. see this. He was like, "Give me one more take. I want to do this thing that I've seen." And then I, he did it, and I was like, "That's very mean." 
but very funny. You know, uh, so he does. A, he's he's an excellent mimic, and he's an excellent physical comic. And watching an actor like that, figuring out how somebody walks, is like one of the great joys in, <laughs> in your in your life. You know, like building the character in that way is just watching how he swings at the shopping basket in the hardware store, how he drinks wine, or you know, it, it's uh, those are the tiny things that I adore on the edges of the frame when I'm watching stuff, and I just think it's. Uh, it's wonderful to see in action. And then the biggest physical stuff is often at the grimmest moments, that shower scene where he breaks the, the wine glass or the, the, is it the quinceanera in the, mm. where he falls over onto the buffet table? Yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's so grim and shocking, but so beautifully done. You, yeah. you laugh to relieve yourself of all that tension, but it yeah. is so tense. Matt was like, I have to get at least one piece of uh, paper. <laughs> dangling from my ear, from my eye, in order for the scene to work. <laughs> and he's right, you know. Um, so yeah, no, I, 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 uh, our bodies betray us, you know. They don't always behave the way we want them to, so yeah, I love that. It sounds like you uh, made, as, as so often on the best pieces of work, you made a little film family. Um, and you were away from most of your, your usual film family. So, so what was it like working with brand new people that you hadn't worked with before? It was great, yeah. We had an Australian production designer, uh, a Mexican location manager and sound man. We had a Chilean um, grip and gaffer. We had uh, some Americans in there too. So it was a real, you know, uh, melange of people and cultures. And uh, it was hugely enjoyable, you know. Um, the Irish crew we brought over all stayed in the same big house in Silver Lake. And, behaved uh, disgracefully for the uh, whole shoot. Um, I stayed in a place nearby. Uh, <laughs> sure, John, sure. <laughs> but it was really, uh, it was so enjoyable. That's, um, I have to give credit to Rob and Rebecca, the producers, in terms of how they built the production and the camaraderie that was generated behind the camera. It was kind of awesome. How, how hard is it to get a film like this made today? How, how hard, because from, from idea to inception to, to execution, how hard is it now? Well, it's, uh, it's hard to, I mean, the Screen Ireland are, deserve enormous credit for getting onto this and understanding that Irish films are defined by the creative talent. So, I mean, that's, uh, I'm very uh, indebted to them in that regard. It's, uh, films are hard to make, uh, of course, and, uh, well, they're, they're maybe, it's, it's better to say that they're easy to, easier than ever to make and harder than ever to get distributed. So, okay. you can make a film on your phone, but uh, the trick is to find an audience, you know, so... Um, that's the that's the real work, and uh, and that's something that you have to kind of be thinking about from the outside, I guess. And this has been doing great at festivals. It's been getting a lot of exposure. Yeah, it's gone actually there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it played in uh, it's played in a bunch of them now. Um, in Guadalajara in Mexico, they were very pleased with the idea of Matt offering Alejandro still or sparkling water. I <laughs> brought the house down. Uh, so, yeah. yeah and, and Matt is doing Colbert tonight. He's doing Stephen Colbert. Yeah, he's doing Colbert. He did Alan. Um, he appeared on Alan's show, sorry, uh, and he's... Uh, Always working, <laughs> look at that. Always writing. And he's, yeah, he's doing Colbert as we speak. <laughs> so, Amazing, yeah. the things he'll do for this movie. Absolutely. It's incredible. So before we, we throw it out to you guys, um, what, what's next for you? I don't know. I, I'm, <clears throat> I have a, another film with Treasure and I have a, another film, a Christmas film that's set in Ireland that I'm that elements are, are producing, which uh, hopefully we get to make as well, and uh, a couple of TV projects, so... Various plates are spinning, but uh, as is always the case with this business, it's not really my decision as to what goes next. So I have to just wait and see. Well, we can't, we can't wait. But um, for now, let's um, let's have some questions. Yes, gentleman, in the blue shirt.
Hi, thank you very much for this absolutely beautiful, absolutely amazing experience. Thank you. Uh, I may be overthinking terribly, but uh, I was—I couldn't help thinking that uh, your work is a very uh, in—is a fantastic counterpart of another LA story dealing with. Uh, Morning of uh, loss of a loved one, a single man, and I am wondering if this ever crossed your mind. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's a beautiful. I, I read the the novella um, years ago, and I loved it. And the film is is beautiful as well. Uh, yeah, and you're right. It's a study of loneliness in LA um, about a gay man who's grieving. Um, Obviously, comes from a different place, uh, you know, uh, t tonally. I'd say obviously there's more brightness where I'm coming from, and that story is like a day to night. So, it's a slightly different uh, structural proposition. But yeah, you're right. It's it's definitely a a touchstone. I would say you know the film. There's a little mini canon of films about loss and loneliness, and and that was one of them for sure. Um, I'm not a fashion designer though, so uh, unlike Tom Ford, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, you're right. That's a, it's a, a first cousin, I'd say. Yeah. Anyone else? Yes, down here, please. Thank you, guys. Round of applause, please. Please do it. Everyone with the mics. Hey. Great work. Uh, when you're writing a character like Ernesto, writing so much about Mexican culture, which I assume probably is not very something very alien to you. Um, are you like, worried about portraying it like explosive or maybe being disrespectful? How, how do you, what devices do you use to navigate that when you're writing? Um, uh, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the first thing I do is try and write it as if I'm the person in question. So just like the deepest, you know, subjective point of view is, is what the first draft is and then the research uh, comes after that. And in this case, it was a question of just talking to as many people as possible and sending the script to as many people as possible who had uh, lived this experience or one close to it and making sure that the specifics you know matched or were relatable to them and then after that um, in the casting process when I spoke to Alejandro and I met him twice um, before actually kind of getting him signed um, our, our, our conversations were all about the common points between his story or I should say his father's story and Ernesto's so Alejandro's father's from Nayarit, uh, from Tepic, where, where we made Ernesto from. And he moved to um, South Central LA when Alejandro was young. And then they, so Alejandro grew up in Compton, but uh, his father's story, I mean, Alejandro kind of, if he was sitting here, he would tell you that he basically based the character on his father. And uh, so, and, you know, as with all good research, I think that's all buried in, in, in a way. It's all kind of below the surface, but... I was very keen to make sure that it didn't feel uh, like an exploitation. And I think empathy is the only way you can do that, you know. Um, the other thing that's harder to do is to try and, uh, you know, uh, or, or you want to make sure that people understand that equal screen time is not the same thing as equal uh, representation. You know, mm. people, by virtue of the dynamics of a story, take up uh, greater or lesser time. And uh, an antagonist's function is to be there less and for you to try and figure out what they're thinking more. And that is the engine of the of the story, and that's how the reveal happens at the end. So, you know, there are certain structural things that prevent you from going down the line 50-50, and those are about story more than anything else. But in terms of building the character himself, you know, I, 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 I try to do as much work as I can so that I felt happy about that. And then once I was happy, uh, I felt like it was okay to go.
I hope that answers it. Yeah, totally. Thank you. I, I just an observation. I think uh, yeah, that's a that's I think that's a great answer. I I also thought it was interesting and useful. I guess in terms of exploring all that, the power dynamic when um, when Sean is in Ernesto's home, hmm. that that he is the one without power, completely without power, social power, any kind of of familial power, anything. And I thought that was an interesting flip. That for me helped the storytelling. Yeah, and it's, you know, but it's important, I suppose, for me to say that I understand completely why race uh, supplants every other issue yeah. when you tell these types of stories. You know, casting can never be colorblind in that regard because a set of assumptions are brought with it. So you know, and I completely understand why that is the case. Yeah. You know, um, but it was important for me that the story was about Sean's behavior and uh, privilege and I'm not asking people to identify with every decision he makes the opposite is the intended effect so yeah. that's how it goes I think that's a great answer we've time for one more question who, who we uh, maybe person up at the back there person up the back with their hand up the highest sorry you were all great with the hands that was the highest hand. Up gender Thanks very much for a lovely film and just to pick up a little bit on the solving of toxic masculinity um, your, your male characters are quite strong and quite obviously quite central, um, even the dead ones. But the women in, in the film, I mean, what, what role are they playing? Because in some ways, Ernesto's quite moored to the, the women character, but Sean isn't, clearly. Is, is, is that, are you have a plan there, or what's going on there? How do you mean a plan? Is, is the, are the women playing a role in providing some sort of mooring or offset to the the male characters what, what is the the women's role in that in their relationship to the two central characters well my my film story my films to date have all been about the uh, foibles of masculinity you know and that's a kind of a conscious kind of thematic interest of mine that's uh, something that uh, consumes me and uh, the next thing i do won't be in that area but these feel like they're. This is, feels like the third of three films that has been primarily interested in that, and you know, dramatically, it feels to me like the women in, in this piece are the people who are talking all the sense, um, and as such, they kind of serve as a, as a counterpart to the, I would say, maybe the narcissism or the inward-looking nature of the the male characters, you know, and. Uh, you need that uh, counterpoint so you can understand probably more clearly what the right way to be is um, because you get to see it, you know. Um, but I think if you want to tell a story about weakness and you want to tell that in a way that feels uh, rounded, then, you know, the dramatic function of the female characters is to show uh, the opposite in some way. So I just, I, I knew that the two, um, that Matt's co-worker who Darcy plays and that his boss who Wendy plays, I knew that they were going to be the ones offering the real perspective, you know. The real sensible course of action is to take the right amount of time off work and to deal with the problem and then return when everything's good and that is obviously advice that he's going to ignore you know and then <laughs> on Ernesto's side I think his wife is trying to tell him that he should acknowledge what the situation is and not freak out about it you know not engage his um, his kind of uh, fears and anxieties about the, the nature of his employment and just go along for the ride so both of those perspectives, I think, are a form of sanity that's lack lacking in the two uh, male characters. So I guess that's their, their function. I hope that answers that. 
It would be great to uh, have loads more questions. I'm afraid we've run out of time. But thank you. I really hope you enjoyed the movie. If you did, and I'm sure you did, please tell everyone about it, especially this weekend. It's going to be cold and rainy. Please tell them to go. No, honestly, you should be in the IFI or somewhere similar. Uh, so please get them in. Um, and if you're out and about and it is sunny, don't forget to do your deck. It's very important. <laughs> Meanwhile, thank you to Treasure. Thank you to the IFI. And thank you hugely to John Butler. Thank you, Tara.